Thank you for listening to the following films podcast. Today, my guest is Justin Lee, the writer and director behind the new film Apache Junction, which is currently in theaters and available on demand. The film stars Thomas Jane, Victoria Pratt, Ed Marone, Scout Taylor Compton, and Stuart Townsend. Hope you enjoy the show. Thanks. Hey, Justin, how are you today? Hey, man, how you doing? Good, good. Thank you so much for taking time out of the day to do this. I really appreciate it. Oh, hey, thanks for having me, man. Yeah, it's uh, I, I live in Tucson, Arizona. So oh. seeing a, seeing anything called Apache Junction is going to grab my eye right away. So how could you just talk a little bit about how this story came together? Because not, not a lot of people know about uh, this particular corner of Arizona. You know, I didn't I like I've been to I've, I've been to Apache Junction. I didn't write Apache Junction as a Apache Junction. It was more about um, kind of the crossroads of, of what was happening at, at the time frame, which was obviously the army, the Apache, the lawlessness that was going on and all that kind of stuff. Um, but I have been to Apache. I've been to Goldfield. I've been to all that. I've actually filmed a lot. Uh, it, I've shot some stuff at Gammon's Gulch. I've I've been I've been kind of all around uh, uh, Arizona and, and whatnot. Um, so. Yeah, so I mean, the story came about just because I wanted to tell another another uh, uh, Western story from this era from a female's perspective, and one of the one of the I was like, what kind of occupation as a female would be if they're trying to make a name for themselves out in a kind of a man's world? And I thought, man, it would be great to do as, as a you know young reporter who's usually reporting on you know the new business that opened up down the block in San Francisco, and she wants to make a name for herself, and she's like, I'm going to go to the most lawless place ever and try to find a story there and uh obviously uncovers not what she expected um so yeah and uh i i have made i've made a lot of westerns i haven't made a lot of westerns that were very southwest mm -hmm. they've been uh, they've been you know my first one was out in the mountains in the snow then i made another one that was in the pacific northwest uh bad you know I've, i haven't made like like a straight desert western and so I got to do that with this one, which was, which was, uh, which was, which was fun. Um, because you got to kind of embrace the, that classic, you know, dusty spurs and the whole nine yards, right. Or all 10 yards, whatever. Um, oh yeah, absolutely. And there's uh, two things I wanted to, to kind of, you brought up both of them. Um, one, the, it was refreshing to see a female character that was at the center of a story like this, that wasn't a prostitute. Generally speaking, it's somebody in that type of vein where this woman does have agency. She has actually a strong point of view in the film. And it's actually, it's not the um, normal way that you, women are handled in most Westerns. And I'm wondering um, what led you to that specific approach with the character, which is just that you don't normally don't see it, or was there something else that you were trying to tell through this particular lens? I've done that. I've done that in um, every one of my Westerns. Yeah, I've tried it's true. But a character that wasn't, you know, I actually only had uh, my first movie, uh, Brea B plays a prostitute, but it's still so, you know, she's in a scene, she's in, she's in two scenes and she's very vulnerable. It's not, a, you know, it's not a normal prostitute scene like you'd see. Um, but every Western I've made, I've tried to have a very strong female character as a co-lead or a lead. Um that partly goes to to a, a story that I, I tell now when when I first got into this, I met with a, a big executive producer who took time out of his day to meet with me. 
And without going into crazy detail, he just said, hey, you can't make a Western for under $10 million at all. And let alone never put a female in your Western because it'll never sell. Well, that that spurred me spurred me uh, the wrong way. And um, I kind of just said, I'm going against the grain every time when I do that. Um, so that that was that was part of what made me kind of write stories that that had, a, you know, females in them in the, in the Western era. Um, Deadwood was a big influence on that, too. I mean, Deadwood had yeah. the most complex amazing characters so many female characters in it you know um and it's it's fun to get to write all those different perspectives and those different viewpoints and vulnerabilities and things like that i have a blast doing it well i mean it's odd that i, I guess it's just the travel aspect of it um living here i look around and walk around in my backyard and really depending on where you point your camera it could look like it did you know, 200 years ago, no problem. So it, it's the idea that you can't do a Western like that, these period pieces, it's really the costumes that end up a lot of the times that selling it on a low budget Western and, but your costumes consistently look great throughout these films that I've seen of yours. Oh, I have, I like my, I mean, Patch Junction, I had uh, Samantha Kuster, uh, who's absolutely amazing. And she works on a ton of my movies, her and her and um, Janae, um, they're, they're just amazing. I mean, to, you know, in Apache Junction, Stuart Townsend's costume was phenomenal. I mean, they gave him this, this very iconic kind of Eastwoodish look, mm -hmm. you know, and, and uh, man, I, I loved his look and his hat. I remember the day they, they, they put the hat on and sent me a photo and I was like, oh my God, that's, that's the character of Jericho Ford. And then Ed Marone is Oswald Pike. His look which just like reeks of villainy with the bowler yeah. hat and his, his whole get up. Um, they just, yeah, they, they really did an amazing job on the costumes on this film. Like, and, and as speaks of, there's a featurette that I think um, Lionsgate has, I think on the, um, the physical release of this film where Ed kind of talks about that in an interview, he talks about how easy it is to, to get into character when you have the right costume. When you slide into a costume and you walk out onto that set, it's just like, oh, you're you're there. You know, it helps actors get right at, get go right into their what they're what they're wanting to do. And um, yeah, they crushed the costumes on this on this film. I love it. Oh, absolutely. And it's it's also a performance driven piece. A lot of westerns. I mean, there's definitely action here, but this is really a a character piece. You could tell this story. You could transpose this to a different setting, I think, and it would still work because the character interactions and their relationships with one another. I don't think that this is something that necessarily had to be a Western in that way. And I think that speaks well of um, the story and of the performances here. Oh, thank you. Um, yeah. I mean, I guess I never thought of it that way. Um, well, I, if you could have set this in, like you were saying, and um, if you would have simply set this Pacific Northwest, you could have done this in... Um, the 1970s during when there was a heroin spike there, those kinds of things, you could have taken the same idea and had somebody, the element of them, of her being the fish out of water, of her looking to make a name for herself and putting herself in an incredibly dangerous situation and taking a leap that she wasn't aware of how dangerous it would be. And sort of the repercussions of that, um, you could set that in any time period and it would work because I mean, there's plenty of us that were more at that age when we're trying to make our bones that we're willing to do things that are, dangerous if not stupid right no you're totally you're totally right you, 
you, you brought up a good point about especially the Pacific Northwest and the, the 70s, 80s, and even the 90s when, um, you know, there, the pot farms that were up here were completely illegal. And, oh uh, and so, so many of them were funneling money to, to local police agencies to keep the police, the police at bay. Uh, you're totally right. It, it, I, I never thought of it that way. And that's, that's really cool. Well, the Pacific Northwest it, it, uh, is its own beast unto itself, where it is a really, it, until you go there, and I've only been a handful of times, but um, there's this idea that we have of Seattle, Portland in our, in our minds that however accurate they are, but you don't paint in the pictures of all the shit that's in between those two cities and around there and how much rural and the, the pot farming element of it, my God, that was, it, again, you have this idea of what that would be and how insanely lawless that was and how many people just disappear and just never come back. So I grew up uh, right between the, those two cities. That's where, <laughs> I, that's where I grew up. And I can straight up tell you, we, um, I grew up in a little town called Longview in Kelso called the Twin okay. City. And it's right on the Columbia River, and we have a, a big bridge called the Rainier Bridge that goes over right into Oregon. Yep. And a little tiny town. Now, this is all logging country. This is where Warehouser was based. And I remember being like not 18 or 19 years old. We went over the Rainier Bridge, went way up into the woods by out of Rainier. And it was like me and some buddies, and there were some chicks with us, and we went, you know, we were being, we were being kids, right? We went out into the woods down this, this road, went through a locked gate into a clearing or we're having beers doing whatever we're doing have music playing and we hear everyone stop what you're doing and put your hands up and i thought it was the cops so we're like uh, looking around and all these lights clicked on to where they were fully 360 around us we had two vehicles and uh we all dropped what we we're doing we put our hands up and a about probably eight or nine guys came out fully clad in fatigues with M16 rifles. Balaclava is on the whole nine yards. And um, we're going, well, these aren't cops. And um, they go, they separated the guys from the women and they go, we're going to, we're going to take the women down the road over here. And we're like, no, that's not happening. And so we eventually, we all went together and they escorted the vehicles out through the gate, shut the gate, padlocked the gate. And it wasn't until we were done, our hearts kind of calmed down. We were like, we were on a, a pot. <laughs> like straight up. Um, and uh, it's so crazy to really honestly growing up in, in, in that area. And then to look at where we're at today, yeah. where everything's like legal. I'm going, man, because my uncle, my uncle was a defense attorney and he, he worked, he worked on both sides, prosecutor and defense attorney. And he worked on both sides and hearing his stories of like, this was the wild west of that particular trade, like NorCal, Oregon, and Washington. Man, the stories are crazy about people growing and and how big of a money deal that was back then. Yes, I mean it's crazy, man. I mean, yeah, it's it's a nutty. It was a nutty. There's so many stories. I think they made. Didn't they make a movie um, with uh, Billy Bob Thornton? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He did one. It was uh, the it was. Humboldt County side of things. I can't remember the name of that though. I know it was an ensemble piece. There was a ton of movie in that, a ton of people in that movie. What? Yeah. Um, yeah. Oh, God damn it. I can't remember the name of it. But yes, I remember the movie. Not John Lithgow, but someone's like the big investor who who owns it. And like Billy Bob Thornton just kind of runs, but it's like, it's like a black comedy because it gets into the really dark side of 
the guys who work those things living up in the camps in those, you know, it's crazy, man. It's a crazy well, time there, frame. There was a, a documentary that came out last year that was about that time period. It was like a six part thing on Hulu, I think. And it was a, it was about missing persons in that area. And just, and how I had in my mind, this idea of Humboldt and, you know, the grateful dead and these things and pot farmers, how dangerous could that be? And uh, I had, dude, no. Yeah, there's one on Netflix called Murder Mountain. Murder Mountain. There you go. Yes, I've seen that. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. That's, I mean, yeah, man. That's like, you know, oh, someone someone stole a, rolled a joint and smoked it. Gone. Done. Where'd they go? Don't know. Yeah. Like, it, crazy. I, I know we're way off track here, but. Yeah. yeah. Man. But. I, inspiration for a new story here. There you go. Exactly. And it's. I think it just goes to show that the idea, though, that if you have a strong story, the setting, if it's a universal story that'll still be approachable, the time frame doesn't really matter in that way, unless there's something you're trying to say through that particular lens. And I'm wondering why you are attracted to go back to the Western time and time again. It's not something that a lot of filmmakers your age would be taking on because you're still a young guy. It's my grandpa, man. My grandpa influenced, like, had Westerns playing all the time. And I, I was, uh, you know, they were kind of embedded in my subconscious. Um, but, I, like, at this point now, I, I get, you know, Westerns typically do pretty well in North America. Yeah. So I, I get asked, I, I get asked all the time to do Westerns. I probably average one a year now. Um, I make all kinds of other films. You do. But, you know, what the, 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 the thing is, is like, there's, all, actors always want to do a western they always they always want to jump in i just made another one this summer um made two films this summer and that was i made i made another western with a great cast uh, i got to work with tom berenger who's obviously an icon in that that yeah. arena um and so it, it was you know it's just something that that on occasion uh i i get it on more than on occasion i guess it's, it happens a lot but um you know, it's fun to play in that sandbox uh, quite a bit and try to create new stories and, and, and new characters. And then can you talk a little bit about the casting of this? Because I, Thomas Jane is one of those guys that I, I, I really am starting to look forward to the guy that he is when he's Bruce Dern's age. He's growing into this really cool, grizzled old guy that I'm really – he's not there yet. He's not an old guy. He's still – full of vitality and young, but I, he he's becoming something that I never would have anticipated in him. And I think I got to see a side of him. I normally don't see in this film. I, I agree. I think uh, on Apache junction, he came with um, something I didn't visualize that character to come. And he came with his own man. He walked up and he's like, uh, Justin, good to meet you. You know, Hey, uh, can we go for a walk? He's like, yeah. And we start walking. He goes, where do you get this pipe? I said, uh, it's cool. He goes, I want to do it for character. I said, okay. He goes, just, I just started smoking these things last week. And I got this pipe, and this is an 1800 pipe, and I just think it would be really cool. And then when you watch it, when I was directing and stuff, and the way he uses the pipe in the scenes and points to things and gnaws on it and she's on it, it's like, man, when actors can find those kinds of small things and those crutches and things like that, it, it adds a layer to the character. Um, it it's so cool. Like Ed had his straight razor. Everyone's kind of got mm -hmm. something to kind of play with. And like Tom, Tom brought that whole thing to it and his kind of quirky way. He kind of dives around his dialogue and like everything. It's not 
something you normally see Tom Jane do at all, which is really cool. No, he has um, a, he has more range than I think a lot of people probably are aware of. He's, he's kind of, and also uh, Trace Atkins falls in that category too, where I kind of took him as almost a novelty actor the first couple things I saw him in. But he's really grown into something that he, uh, okay, uh, the voice that he has does a lot of the heavy lifting, but you could get away with a lot with that voice and like give gravitas that maybe performance doesn't, but he's become a really interesting actor. Um, and if I, I, I saw two films of his this year where if I look at this and I look at something 13 uh, minutes, I'm not sure if you've seen that or not, where it's a tornado film and it wildly different. And so he's, he's got more than I think people give him credit for. Uh, you know, it's it's crazy. So I just got a text from Trace while we've been on this interview. <laughs> Seriously? <laughs> uh, thanks. I've always had a blast working with you, and you've taught me so much. Which, which will literally for city. Which, uh, which uh, will go into I guess I uh, uh, crazy that he just texted me, so I can talk. I'll talk about this. So yeah, I watched career um, for a while. I had him in ba- the movie Badland. He was. Yes. I had him for a, in the opening. And already when I knew Trace's career prior to me putting him in Badland and then I put him in Badland, I'm like, God, I love the, it's such a traditional opening scene of like a spaghetti Western that Sergio Leone would do. Like it's one yep. of my favorite things. And, and Trace brought this whole thing. I'm like, God, I want to work with this guy more. So when Apache came around, I said, I want Trace for more than a day. I want to work with him for a week. And I wanted to, tr- I wanted to give him a bigger role. And so that's what happened. And, and obviously he, he is a good actor. And I was yeah. like, man, this is cool. Then I was like, I want to get him out of Westerns. So this summer we went to Hawaii and we made a, made a whole different movie with him as the lead. And he has grown so, so, so much. And then obviously, I, I don't know if you knew last week, you know, he got, it was announced that he's cast as the lead alongside Susan Sarandon in a new Fox series. Um, I didn't know that. Jesus. Tremendously is an actor and, and it has been such a joy to work with him, man. I love that guy. And he's, I just, uh, I can't speak more highly of, of him. He's, he's great. He's, um, and it, it, it's one of those things where I think that there's people that come across as though they have nothing to prove as an actor. And I don't know if that becomes just having a whole career outside of the, that world. And a lot of times musicians can, carry the screen because they it, they don't it doesn't feel like it there's not that desperation for approval that you get from some actor sometimes there's a, not a lack of confidence um that you get i i'm not sure what the why is but there it's definitely one way where i think um actors certainly have a tougher time playing music than musicians have a tougher time acting yeah i well I, you know it, again watching trace grow on this last one He'd come in, and this is the stages of watching someone kind of grow. He came in on this last one. He goes, uh, hey, Justin, I'm, I'm uh, you know, this is what's written, but I I think I want to say this instead. I was like, awesome. That's a, that's a great uh, yes, you know. Um, and it was just like he started to collaborate with me rather than showing up and being like just doing what was on the page. And, like, that's, that's growth because that means you're getting really comfortable as an actor, you know. And this is, like I said, it's awesome to see that stuff happen, let alone be a part of it, you know? Oh, yeah, for sure. And it's, I, I, it comes through on, on screen that, that the relationship that the two of you have, there's a comfort there. That it, and it's just something where 
clearly you enjoy working with actors because um, the scale of the films that you're doing, the people that you're getting to show up for these things. Um, I don't think that they're doing that because it's something that they, there's no cynicism in your films, if that makes sense. Well, thank you. <laughs> um, I've got to work with some, some legends, man. I mean, Bruce Stern's become like a grandfather to me. I, I, I love Bruce and the stories he's told me and, and he's been very complimentary. Uh, again, I just worked with, we just worked with Tom Berenger. Um, you know, I've, I've worked with Billy Zane on a few occasions. Billy's been around the block a time or two and been on some sure. huge thing. Um, I've just, I've got a, I've been very privileged in a lot of people that I've gotten to work with and, and uh, you know, that's something you kind of got to take day by day because it's so surreal sometimes. I was sitting here with one of my best friends. We ran down to the, the minute mark the other day and Billy Zane was texting me and then I was getting texts from someone else. And I go, dude, this is just bizarre. We grew up as tiny kids, you know, kids in a tiny little tiny town. And then that's, you're getting texts like that from people each day. It's just a very humbling thing, you know, and uh, very surreal. My, uh, my five-year-old loves Billy Zane. Um, oh, it, it's, it, it's, um, he, it, He's autistic and he's really dialed into the movie Titanic. He watches it almost every day. He loves that film. Um, it's opened up a interest in history and all these things. And he's this guy that he loves to hate. And so ne next time you're uh, texting him, it, please feel free to let him know that he, he knows how much joy he's brought into the world with that film specifically. But to me personally, with one five-year-old that he makes happy almost on a daily basis. So if, if you could pass that along, please do. Cause yeah. That's an story. I'm, I'm a, I'm, I'm a fan. The, I think it's important to thank artists uh, a lot for the things that we consume. We often, especially in digital age, we shit on art a lot. It's very commonplace. If you look at film Twitter for 30 seconds, you'll see how cruel it can be. So I, I think it's important that when you enjoy something to say, thank you for it because yeah I don't, I don't think we do it as a society enough so thank you, you for know, the films that you're making as well. well thank thank you for the compliments man it, it's so funny you say that I, I was doing another interview and uh you know it's um I, I I I can be very confrontational individual sometimes especially when asked very weird questions and I got I got asked a, a weird question the other day and it was uh in an interview and they were like uh and right off the bat, there was just something weird about the vibe of the interview and whatever. And, and they were like, um, so why do you keep making Westerns in a, that, that are, that's a dead genre? And it was very, <laughs> very, very just question. And I literally said, well, why do you keep uh, being a critic when everyone hates critics? And he just started chuckling and goes, that was a really good retort. And I'm like, it was a dumb question to ask. <laughs> So there, is the interview tanked at that point? Are you able to no. course correct or? I was like, so what's the next question? <laughs> so, you know, like it's, I, it's just kind of funny. I was just like, where, cause you know, you, you watch interviews with like huge actors and big directors and stuff. And especially, I mean, Tarantino's infamously famous for yes. one thing, controversial inter interviewers because he's so great at handling them. But I don't, you know, I only do this uh, a couple times a year when there's a movie coming out. So I don't, no one, you know, I'm not, I'm not a big director. So no one's like trying to get a rise out of me, you know, but like I was, I've only been asked on two, two, 
two questions. That was one of them. I did a movie called Final Kill with Ed Marone uh, uh, about a year or so back. And I remember, you know, it's got MMA. It's got Randy Couture yeah. in it and Billy Zane's in that. And I, I, some, someone goes, hey, so, you know, you got a scene where, where um, Ed Marone's character just beats the crap out of this woman. Can you speak on, uh, you know, the violence against women in, in, in this particular film? And I go, well, first off, this, it's, it's a female assassin who's come to kill him. So what do you expect him to do? Give her a rope? Like, I'm like, where do these questions come? You're just, I, and I, it was like, all right, man, you're just trying to get a rise out of me. Like, did you watch the movie? She's an assassin. Come on. You know? So it's, it's uh, so funny to me. Certain questions that get asked. It's, it's hilarious, rem- but. It's remarkable um, how bad some people are at simply having a conversation. So I, I it, it's, it's weird that uh, there's cringeworthy interviews and people put it out in their name and say like, this is the thing that I created. This is, we're putting this out and it's, yeah, you're right. A lot of it. Man, there's, so many, there's so many, like I've seen some of those ones with Tom Hardy that are so cringeworthy where they ask him a question and he's just looking at the interviewer like, why would you why? ask me this question? <laughs> You know, Robert Danny Jr. questions that you know he's going to be like, I'm not going to answer that question. Yep. No. See, I that's why I I have no interest in interviewing those guys. I would just look like an asshole, and I would I would screw it up. So no, I'll pass. Christopher, they're not questions that like you'd probably ask. They're questions specifically to try to get some kind of a video out of asking that question, right? Yeah. No, there's no actual concern for the interview of of the character or the filmmaking or that as an actor it's just to get it's just to get viral clip out of out of what they're asking you know good point and that's and that's why i'm only ever going to go so far because i i'm not chasing clicks i just want to have conversations like this i would much rather do this this is far more pleasant (laughs) so cool well thank you when can people see the film when when is it uh being released so uh, September 24th uh, comes out in theaters and um, I guess as I was told last week exclusively on Apple TV oh okay so, um, I was under the impression it was all VOD platforms but apparently Apple jumped in and was like we want this for an exclusivity window so that was an awesome wow. thing oh that's cool nice yeah very cool so uh, yes yeah, so September 24th um, check it out Apple TV or in theaters so check yep. is there somewhere i should send people to check that out to get more information about the film uh saban I, I saban films um i think they're advertising it it was in the top five trailers being uh advertised on apple um i'm gonna guess saban saban probably gonna put i know Lionsgate's involved in this too so it, I, I'm, I'm assuming they're putting out a theatrical list um i'll find but, something i'll put it in the show notes i'll link to it so people will know but cool. yeah Absolutely. I, and this is one I recommend. There's not, not a lot of movies that I could watch with my wife or my mom or with my brother. And I feel like this is one that crosses a lot, checks a lot of boxes, crosses a lot of uh, Venn diagrams are overlapping with this one. This is just a, it's a lot of fun with it, man. So congratulations. I'm looking forward to Hellblazers. And I, I hope you get to, oh, I, man. that, that was a, that, that's I, a good, I, I know we're out of time, but yeah, I, I'm really looking forward to that one, man. So one of, the, yeah. one of the best things I've ever done is with Ed Marone and Bruce Dern. They just Love volleyed it. back and forth. It's a hilarious scene. So great. Awesome. <laughs> cool. Well, thank you so much, man. Thank you for taking the time today. I appreciate it. Hey, man. Thank you for having me.
All right. Take care. All right.